just a joy to be here. Love it when we sing songs, that all of the songs that we're singing, just filled with truth, filled with hope, filled with the reality of who our God is, and we're just going to continue going and worship today in God's Word. Um, last Sunday, I made mention a few times the statement, we are rowers, we are rowers. Obviously, that fits with the uh, sermon series image that we're using of the rowers. Uh, I want us to uh, watch a video here in just a minute that is entitled, <laughs> Go Figure, We Are Rowers. Um, it is epic, and uh, it, is <laughs> it is inspiring. Um, let me just make a couple comments before that comes in. Uh, some of the comments that it has on it, it says, uh, rowing is a sport of teamwork of power, of passion. Rowing is about working as one to reach a goal. Uh, Rowers are no ordinary athletes. That's right. Uh, Fulfilling infinite dreams. Ultimately, that is uh, fulfilling the infinite uh, plans of the Lord. Uh, Rowers require strength, dedication, determination, perseverance, focus. Rowers never give up. Watch this. And Lord, that is about rowing a boat. We're here about something far bigger than that. We're here about something far more eternal than that. We are here about something that is you. We are here to worship you. We are here to glorify you. We are here to serve you. We are here to learn more about you. We are here to leave this place more energized and equipped to be able to serve you. Father, this is a team of people, a team of rowers. By the power of the gospel and the work of God, oh God, I pray, that we would press on, never giving up. Lord, maybe right at this point, there are some in this room this morning who feel like giving up. And I just pray our time in the Word would encourage them and instill in them a joy and a fire to row. We are your rowers. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Before we dive into God's word here, I have a picture I'd like for us to consider, and uh, it is this picture. Uh, Here, if we could bring that up. Can you bring the next one up for me? The next one. Do you have that? The one with the moose? Just grab any picture with a moose, it'll be good. It's all good. It's all good, by the way, guys. Appreciate you. Let me tell you about a picture. <laughs> there is a uh, picture with three moose, and if it comes up at any point, you'll see it. Um, three moose standing in a river. Um, what's unique about these three moose that are standing in the river is you see in the background, you see a forest fire ablaze. And here are these three moose standing in a river, and 
it begs a question. Um, Just picturing it in your mind. Three moose standing in a river, and in the background, there is a forest fire blazing away. And uh, the question that is begged is, are they aware of it? I mean, are they fully aware of what's going on, or are they unaware of what's going on? I actually think the picture that you have in your mind of that um, can be answered with both as a possibility. And in fact, our text today is going to take us there. So open your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We're in the last chapter of 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, um, page 987. If you're using one of the Bibles behind the seats there, I trust you bring a Bible, you have it, whether you're turning it on digitally or whether you've got page open, turning there with that. Uh, the words matter, we're looking at them. I want to reference just where we're at at the end of chapter 4. Uh, Last Sunday, we covered the last paragraph in chapter 4, and I just want to remind us and for us to know that Jesus is returning. He is returning, and you can see the very last verse of chapter 4, therefore encourage one another with these words. The Lord's returning, maybe on Monday during a solar eclipse, or just kind of kidding with that, but kind of not. Would that not be awesome? Especially the wise times are going to be like in the center of it all, aren't you guys? down in Kentucky, where all things happen. (laughs) Uh, Jesus is returning. We talked about uh, last Sunday about uh, uh, those in Christ that have fallen asleep. Out of the text, I have a front row seat in the parousia, in the returning of Christ. They have a front row seat. The Lord's going to descend. He is going to descend uh, with a cry of command, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And 2 Corinthians 5 eight, just as a reminder to be away from the body for the person who knows Christ as their Savior is to be with the Lord. It is with the Lord, but yet the text is talking about kind of this final resurrection of the body and the whole thing of it all going. And I made mention last week, and I just want to remind this week, those of you who know what I'm talking about here from our own church family, may I remind us that Shirley, Ed, and Joe are with the Lord now. And yet there will be a day when the Lord comes back where uh, all will be coming together. And then in the text it talks about those who are alive will be caught up, will be snatched up. In the text last Sunday, talking about together with them, with those who have fallen asleep, and we'll be together, be encouraged by that. If you have loved ones who know Christ as their Savior, this is not over, it's not done, it's not at the end. Uh, We will be with them, together with them. And then the text goes on, together with the Lord, that's even better. That's even better. I look forward to seeing my dad in heaven. But the Lord... I got to tell you, sorry, Dad, but the Lord I'm cranked up about even more, uh, being able to see the Lord. And then we saw last week out of the text, together with them, with the Lord, always, always. And then at the end of the text, therefore, encourage one another, console one another, comfort one another with these words. Hey, loved ones, in the chaos that's going on today, if you know Christ is your Savior, Jesus is returning, and I have no idea when, whether that's in my lifetime, our lifetime, or 100 or 500 years from now, I don't know, but Jesus is returning, and there's hope, this craziness that we live in right now. Today we're in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 1 through 11, 
Um, it is going to be it's the longest amount of text uh, from here on out. It's kind of the shortest length of sermon. We're going to take 30 minutes in this here, 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 1 through 11. And if I could say last Sunday is Jesus is returning. This Sunday the text is judgment is coming. Judgment is coming. It talks about the day of the Lord, and it sounds scary and all of that. And, and, and frankly, if uh, one is without the Lord, it is. But if with the Lord, hang on, see what the text is saying, and you will leave encouraged, greatly encouraged from the text. Look at the first words. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. The first couple words say, now concerning. Chapter 5. Remember when Paul, Silas, Timothy originally wrote this, we didn't have the chapter breaks in that, and sometimes the chapter breaks, they're, while they're really helpful to get, all get to the same place very easily, they also break things, and yet here there is an aspect of this is continuing in the similar subject, but this is a new subject within the realm of the subject. And so it is a, it is a new conversation now concerning something else. Now concerning what? What is the text saying? Well, let me read. Now concerning the times and the seasons the times and the dates, the times and the events, both words kind of build together. It's talking about what's happening ahead. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers and sisters, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware. I want to pause right there here. I think there's a word in this. Um, in, in the, obviously, out of the text, it says you are fully aware. You are fully Aware. You have no need for anything to be written. You are fully aware. It's interesting. You're fully aware. You have no need for anything to be written, but Paul is writing. Isn't that interesting? I want to pause here for a minute because I think we just read right on out of our excitement for the kind of the subject of what's being talked about, and we lose what Paul just said right there. This is kind of like when Jesus, I think, sometimes with the disciples, where Jesus is like, come on, guys. Come on, guys, pay attention. Come on, guys, get your head in the game here. And then the Lord goes on to lovingly come alongside them. But every so often, you kind of see the Lord give a little bit of a call out. And actually, I think that's contained within here. I might say this is a bit of a loving call out. I might even say this is a bit of a loving rebuke on what's being said here. I suggest that Paul is calling out the believers in Thessalonica. By the way, these are new believers. These are not believers who have grown up around Judea Christian thought. They did not grow up in a Jewish culture with a Bible background, Old Testament background. They, they did not grow up. These are like pagan people who came to Christ, grown up in a very, uh, a, a very secular culture. And, and now they are new in the Lord and, and the truth of the matter is, is if you've been around here, and I don't mean it because of me, but if you've been around here for two, three, four, five years and, or somewhere else and gotten good teaching for a few, you, you have more information than these boys and girls had with where they're at in this time. And in this, uh, it's kind of Paul is calling out for what I might say is, uh, listen, there's an unappreciation for, for what you presently know. I just say this, you know a lot. As I just noted, if you've been around God's word and hearing God's word and reading God's word for a little bit of period of time, you know more than what they knew. Because everything we're studying right now is brand new information for them. They didn't even have the full New Testament to be able to sit down and read through. And they had all kinds of information. And sometimes people can get in that place, so I just don't know enough. I just don't know enough. Uh, can I say this? You're fully aware. You know more 
than you think you know. Always to be learners, but fully aware. There's also an aspect in this to where it kind of calls out this thing of, of those who, 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 listen, we're learners, we can always learn more. There's a call to that uh, in this to learn more, and that's why Paul is teaching more in this. But at the same time of it, might I just say that, that sometimes it's kind of, there's an excuse to where it's like, I want to dive and I want to dig into no more, no more. Spend all my time just knowing more so I can be able to debate the debates that have been debated for centuries and millennia so I can figure out the answer. Yeah, good luck with that one and it's like no I want to study more and more and more and more and more and more and I'm going to stick my nose in it more and more and more and more and avoid the great commission what's the great commission by the way might I say it is the great commission not a commission and that is Matthew 29 therefore go and make disciples of all nations by the way that is a call for all of God's people that was a call for them we saw in chapter 1 of 1 Thessalonians that they were going and these people didn't know much but they were going and making disciples and having an impact way beyond themselves they were going and today we can oftentimes get in that place where it's, oh, I don't know enough. I'm not capable enough. Excuse me, but you have the Spirit of God, the Word of God, and the power of God, and uh, I think enough. Always learning as we're going. And in that also, I'm just going to lovingly say to some of you that are just so into the studying that you, listen, if you're not making disciples, how about this? How about get out of some study for a while and do what you're studying? Okay? Call both ways on that. I love you, by the way, just so you know that. But I think we need to hear a word on this. What if God's people were so fired up about the Great Commission? Maybe an equivalent to politics of the day. What if God's people are as fired up about the Great Commission as to what's going on in our world today? What if God's people were as fired up about the Great Commission as about their own career, or about their car, or about their money, or about their Facebook, or about their critiquing everything, or about gathering end times data, or just about wanting to know more and more. What if we were fired up about going and making disciples? What about that? Is it getting uncomfortable? Because God has called you. Well, that's the pastor's job. No, 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 you've got to understand. Yeah, we're to be a part of that, but we equip you to do the work of the ministry. Amen. Consider this before I go on. There's like 700 people here from junior high on up. 700 people in this church from junior high up. What if all 700 of us us had the goal of influencing one person in the next three years to Jesus? Listen, we plant, we water, God gives the growth, right? But what if we had it that we were praying and pursuing after just one? And generally that means you have to go after two or three to be able to get one. But what if we were doing that, seriously going after that, and 700 people, do you realize what that would do if that was the case and the Lord allowed that? And I would say that's not a high bar at all. The result of that would be 233 people a year. This is one of the things here, just so you understand, as a church to where we're just not all that big about all the 
wrapped in candy church and program stuff, because why? Because so often that becomes the thing to bring people in, and instead I think it comes back to a call to about God's people as disciple makers taking the call on. How does the church grow? How does the church grow? The church grows when God's people do what God says. It's that straight up. It's a hard word, but it's a true word. If every one of us would just go after one, God, oh God, use me. Where's my man, God? Where's my woman? You would allow me to be able to influence over the next three years, 233 people every year. Maybe that's too high of a bar. If it was five years, it would be 140 people every year. What if we were fired up about that, huh? What if we were fired up about that, huh? I love you. I just want you to know that. For the vast majority of God's people, you don't need more information. You need more going. For the vast majority of God's people, we don't need no more information. We need more going. Learning as we go. Learning as we go. Fully aware but sometimes it's not having its full impact. And trust me, it's not because God is not powerful enough and it's not because his word is powerful enough. It's because we don't want it enough. Fully aware. Let's go for full impact. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers and sisters, you have no need to have anything written to you, but I'm gonna write to you. Verse two. For you yourselves are fully aware. Fully aware of what? Well, there's a particular subject that he's talking about here in the text. And the subject is the next statement. That the day of the Lord will come. The day of the Lord. There is a specific subject here. You're fully aware of the day of the Lord. That is a term that was used throughout the Old Testament uh, and even into the New Testament. This is referencing God's cataclysmic future judgment event where he pours out his final wrath on unredeemed mankind. It's mentioned 19 times in the Old Testament, 14 times in the New, four times in the New Testament, one here in Acts chapter 2, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, 2 Peter chapter 3. It's alluded to in other passages like Revelation 7, 17, Revelation 16, 14 of the day of the Lord. It's noted three times in the Old Testament as the day of vengeance. It often contains both a near as in a now and a far uh, fulfillment of it. Malachi 4 says it'll be preceded by an Elijah-like forerunner. Some think that's the, the first and uh, uh, one of the two witnesses in Revelation 7. Uh, Jesus talks about it in the Olivet Discourse in Matthew 24 and 25. In Amos 5, the Lord says this, Woe to you who long for the day of the Lord. What will the day of the Lord be for you? It will be darkness and not light. By the way, keep those terms in mind in light of our text. It will be darkness and not light. It will be like a man who flees from a lion only to have a bear confront him. Now that's a bad day, right? Run from a lion but have a bear confront him. And then on top of that, he goes home and the text says and rests his hand against the wall only to have a snake bite him. Won't the day of the Lord be darkness rather than light, even gloom without any brightness in it? The day of the Lord in Scripture talks about a time of judgment when God is going to pour out his wrath on the unrepentant. It's also 
contained within it the idea it's a time of, if you will, final deliverance for God's people. By the way, may I remind us, the people in Thessalonica were under severe oppression. They were under severe affliction. And we don't understand this reality yet. But when you are in that, there's an aspect of hope and understanding. What is God going to do with those who have been so, so, so wicked and so evil? Is God going to bring his righteous hand upon that and make things right? And yes, the day of, there is a day of the Lord that is coming, and he will. We're told three things about the day of the Lord in the text. Let's look at them. Uh, We already saw the one, it will come, middle of verse 3. The day of the Lord will come. Know this, God's final judgment will come. God's final judgment will come. Uh, But Pastor Doug, that's been said for a thousand years, and like, where is it and where is he? I totally understand you on that. Like, today would be fine, just to, let's leave. (laughs) Um. I understand, but I want for you to know this. God's word says that the day of the Lord will come. And I don't know when, but if God's word says that the day of the Lord will come, it will come. Okay? It will come. Because what the Lord says, the Lord does. In his timing and in his way, it will come. Secondly, the end of verse 3, it says, And the day of the Lord will come like a what? Like a thief in the night, like a thief. A thief arrivals is never joyful. I mean, it's never announced. I've never heard from anyone who's maybe gotten robbed or read anything about anyone who's gotten robbed. It's like, man, this is really cool. Someone called and gave an advance announcement that they're going to steal things from our house. It was so awesome. That's not how it works, right? So here in the text, we're using this idea of a thief. A thief's arrival is never joyful, and a thief's arrival is never announced. A thief's arrival is never joyful, and a thief's arrival is never announced. Thieves interrupt your peace, and they take away your security. Hold on to that thought because of the words peace and security are used here soon. Thieves interrupt your peace, and they take away your security. Uh, The day of the Lord will come. It will come like a thief. And third, it will come upon them. Uh, By the way, students right now, if you're in English and you're anything like me, you you had English class because you were forced to have English class. I could speak English, I think. And uh, why? Who cares what's a preposition and a noun and a verb? And my wife said, amen. However, pronouns matter. They are... Very important in this text. Uh, I might note that so far, verses 1 through 3, you have you, you, and you yourselves. You yourselves emphatic. It's talking about God's people. And then all of a sudden, the pronoun turns here in in, in verse 3. Look at it. While people are saying there is peace and security, thieves come to interrupt peace and take away security, While people are saying that there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them. Not you, them. As labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they, not you, they will not escape. It will come upon them. The day of the Lord will not come upon those who are in Christ. 
It is not for those who are in Christ. It is not the wrath of God poured on on those who are redeemed in Christ. It is not the wrath of God poured on those who are redeemed in Christ. By the way, for a couple of you, you might need to hear it again because you're wondering if you're in Christ and if God is going to crush you, might I remind you that the wrath of God, the righteous wrath of God is not going to be poured out on those who are redeemed in him. Rest assured in that and be hopeful in that reality. The sad part is, is the righteous, rightful wrath of God will be released upon those who are unredeemed, and that should not cause us to be like, yeah, go get them, God. It should fire us up to, oh, God, we don't want anyone under that. And that should fire us to, oh, God, could you give me five people that I could influence for you to see them come to know you saved from the wrath of God one day? Oh, God, might you be me that in the next three years or five years, right? That's the fire that comes out. We're not the kind of church that's mad about it. We're the kind of church that's like, oh, my goodness, God saves people from his righteous wrath. Can you believe that? And that includes saving me, and that includes saving you if you know Christ, and that includes saving others who even are doing wicked, evil things today. Oh, might they come to know Christ to be spared from the wrath of God. It will come upon them, though. There's an encouraging part of that, and yet there's a driving part of that. By the way, notice it will come upon them as labor pains that come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. I don't know if you know this, but I've never been pregnant before. Um, maybe you've deduced that just by reality, but hey, a lot of you ladies have been, right? And uh, when the, I've been around the whole pregnant and labor pains thing, um, and, and just by observation, when the labor pains hit, you, you have... N- the baby's coming, right? When the labor pains hit, you can't stop it. Ladies, am I right? At least that's what I picked up. I mean, it's like, whoa, whoa, labor pains. You know what? This really isn't a good day. You know, I'd really, we actually, we were planning next week. This isn't it the due date that, that, that the doctor gave me for this whole thing. Like, let's schedule, you know what? I'm not feeling the vibe of the whole deal right now. Can we wait for a few more days? No, you have no power over it. True? Like when they come, it's coming. And that's why the text is being used here. Because when the day of the Lord comes, there's no stopping it. Its end is guaranteed. It's like a woman in labor. They will not escape. Note the next couple words at least out of the English Standard Version in verse 4, but you. We're back to the personal pronoun of you speaking to God's people, but you. But you are not in darkness, brothers and sisters. Darkness, remember that from Amos? But you are not in darkness, brothers and sisters, for the day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, Children of the day. We are not of the night, nor of the darkness. Oh, so cool, so encouraging, so hope-filled with what's going on here. The objects of God's wrath in the day of the Lord is not his children. 
In fact, the redeemed in Christ, may I remind you with that, you are children. You are children. Now, there's a part of that. When I say that, that can kind of come across a bit smack talk. You child. But it totally depends on the situation, and it totally depends upon who's your daddy. All right? And so in all of this, children of who? John 1, 12. As many as received Jesus Christ, to them he gave the right to be. Romans 8, 16. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Philippians 2.15, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. 1 John 3.1, this one rocks. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And it goes on to say right after that, that we should be called children of God and so we are. And so it's like, you are children. You are children of God. If you've come to the place where you've understood that you're a sinner, separated from God, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, and then come to realize that God in his grace and his mercy and his love, Ephesians chapter uh, 2, verse 4 and following, that Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, has come and died on the cross in our place, risen from the grave, sealing the sacrifice for sin, and as many as received it, him to them they gave the right to become children of God it is not an earned gift it is a grace gift that is received and if you have received that gift of Jesus Christ you are a child of God and what one of the things that comes along with that wonderful announcement is that you will not be in the day of wrath It will not consume you. It will not take you. In fact, the text tells us a few things about it. Verse 5, you are children of the light and day. You are children of the light and day. You are not children of the darkness. You are not children of the night. You are children of the light and day. By the way, might I note, it does not say you were children of. It does not say you will be children of. It says you are children of. Children of the light and day, by the way, are also children that are awake and sober. Look at verses 6 through 8. So then, let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. A few comments on this. Awake, it's last Sunday we talked about that. Uh, Those who are awake, those who are alive, those who are living, uh, versus those who are asleep, those who have died. Uh, Awake and, and, and sober. Let me say it this way. Awake and sober, not awake and sloshed. Awake and sober, not awake and sloshed. A culture has this creepy, messed up way of laughing at and glorifying awake and sloshed. It just does. And it's not funny. 
and it's not cool. Not at all. Awake and slosh looks nothing like what God's children are supposed to look like. I've seen awake and sloshed carry out its wrath on people and my own family. Having a grandfather that was a town drunk and I still to this day see the definite, the the devastation of awake and sloshed in that manner on my mom. And it's not funny. It seemed that it was like in late junior high, early high school, through high school, and then into college that awake and sloshed was cool and awesome. For some reason, the Lord spared me. That's just never been my thing. I saw my friends get sloshed. And I didn't think it was funny at all. I'm just going to say it straight up. They looked like an idiot, they talked like an idiot, and they smelled like an idiot. And it's not funny. Because God's children are not supposed to look anything like that. Okay? This isn't a talk on alcoholism. This is a talk on that's what the text is referencing. Awake and sober, not awake and sloshed. And sometimes God's people are awake and sloshed. And I'm not even talking about alcohol issue. I'm just talking about the way they live in life. Living like idiots. Having nothing to do with the Lord. Nothing like that. That should not be us. We're all growing and changing. None of us are perfect. All of us have issues in life. Okay, got that? All of us are struggling through issues of life. But we're to be growing in the Lord more and more as people awake and sober. So, Pastor Doug, what does sober look like then? I'm so glad you asked because here's what's so cool. The text tells us. The text tells us. Awake and sober, and it continues the sentence in mid-eight, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and uh, a, for a helmet, the hope of salvation. We could spend the whole time in that, but might I remind us, if you were here in the very beginning of the year, the first Sunday of the year, we talked about ready. We talked out of Ephesians about this exact kind of text talking about uh, armoring up. What, what, does, what does awake and, and sober look like? It looks like this. Not like, okay? It looks like ready. It's like in the war, for the war, seeing the war, and ready to come at it. Like, come on, man. Faith and love, hope of salvation. Protecting the heart, if you will. Breastplate of faith and love. Protecting the head with the hope of salvation. That's what awake and sober looks like. People ready with the gospel and who the Lord is. Armored up, awake and sober. That's what rowers are. One more thing about being a child of God. His children are not destined for wrath. In fact, I've said that, but if you're wanting clarity on it, let me read the final verses here, verse 9 and 10. Uh, For God has not destined, and the personal pronoun matters. 
For God has not destined us, those in Christ for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, whether we're alive or dead, we might live with Him. Hey, if you're a child of God, you are not destined for wrath. His children are not destined for wrath. His children have salvation provided through Christ. His children will live with Him always. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. I believe verse 17. Hey, are those truths not awesome? If you're a child of God, you have every reason to hope. Because right now with what's going on, I don't know, don't you just feel like after this week, you pay any attention to the news, and I do, pay attention, it's just like, can we just like, that sounded a little creepy with what I'm going to say, can we just like take a shower, okay? It just feels that way, doesn't it? It's like, what is going on? Hey, know this. God is bringing all things exactly to where he wants it, and he's got it. Okay? As redeemed in Christ, stop fretting. Stop fretting. Stop fretting and stop fussing because the Lord is allowing what the Lord is allowing. And the Lord is moving everything to an end, and in it, what should we be doing? We should be rejoicing in the fact of children of God and after what he has called us to do and to be. The Great Commission full out growing in Christ. That's what the Lord would want of us. So what are we supposed to do with these truths? Well, what I'm trying to do right now, you are to encourage, look at verse 11, therefore encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. That's what we're supposed to do. Encourage one another. If you're redeemed in Christ, you should have every reason to walk away from a text like this this morning and just go, thank you, God, that gives me hope and encouragement to continue. If you're redeemed in Christ, you should be able to walk away from today. It's like, oh my word, that is what my Lord has done and that is what my Lord is going to do. I want to know him more. And we should be doing that together with each other, in our families, in our relationships, with our friends, with our small group as we enter into that, and building one another with these kinds of things. Listen, ready, armed up, awake and sober, and yet the war is coming to an end one day, and maybe after we die, but listen, this is just the on-ramp to what the Lord has ahead, and there's every reason to hope, every reason to hope, there's every reason to hope. So I want to try and finish with the last picture, if I can, if it'll come up. There we go. Three moose in a river. Fire raging behind it. The heat on their back. Question. Are they unaware and indifferent right now? Because they very well could be. They could be, you know, as moose think. (laughs) They could be to where it's like, that thing's been burning for my entire life. I've felt the heat of it on my back. It's been burning for thousands of years. And it's okay. It's all right. Peace and security. It's okay. Just keep on drinking. 
keep on having fun. It's all okay. For them, it will come like a thief in the middle of the night. It will come. It will come, and it will come like a thief. It will come to take and destroy. Like labor pains, it will come, because the Lord has said that it will. Unaware and indifferent. There's another possibility. Maybe those three moose are fully aware. Maybe those three moose came to receive Christ as their Savior. (laughs) Our daughter shared Christ with our dog Snoopy years ago, again and again. And Snoopy, if Emily was here, she would be proud to tell you that Snoopy received Christ as his Savior. And and when he died, he is with the Lord. And, And we just keep on, you go, girl, you go, girl. Might these three moose actually be fully aware fully aware of the heat that is going on in the back of their reality. And fully aware in the fact that, listen, the heat's right there. Fully aware of it. Don't ever lose sight of the reality of it. But fully aware knowing that the Lord is not going to allow this to come and take us like a thief and crush us. And so while we are here with the heat on our back, we can continue on with what we moose are supposed to do. By the way, you know moose is not mooses, plural, but I want to go there, sorry. Moose. Hey, friends, for you and I, if you know Christ is our Savior, here's the thing. Heat's on the back, right? The heat's on. Heat's burning around. But know this. We can continue on in faith, love, and hope knowing that the Lord will not allow those flames to come and crush you. Listen, the day of the Lord will come, but it will not come upon those who are redeemed in Christ. And you have every reason, therefore, to be able to continue to walk in him and to raise disciples for him and to be able to share your faith for him, right? Fire's there, but fully aware of what the Lord is doing. And so, Lord, we leave it there. And we pray, God, that these truths would encourage us, they would motivate us, they would inspire us, they would give us hope. Father, that they would build us up, not not in a sense of any kind of arrogance. Oh, God, I pray that your children would not be bratty children, but we would be humble, amazed, adoring you children, children who see you and children who understand you increasingly so, and yet children who understand that you and your grace have allowed us to be fully aware, and out of that fully aware, we should have, it should be having full impact, and that full impact includes walking for you, uh, that we would be growing in you and pursuing after you. Oh yes, that would be that we would know you more, we would understand your word more. Oh, but God, I would pray that it would stir within us and us as a church an increasing desire to be able to be people of of increased influence for you outside of ourselves. That we would be at work and at school and at home and our neighborhood and in our communities that we would be light to a dark world. 
that God, that, that we as small people in it all, yet called children of the king of the universe, would have the confidence of knowing what you have done and who you are and that we would be gossiping about Jesus. Not all the other burning things going on. Lord, here as we close with this song that we sang even last Sunday of Even So Come, oh Lord, I pray it would instill within us a fire for you. You are coming back, Lord. And all of this is coming to a place where we will see you face to face. And may that be the hope that allows us to endure in you, to see beyond the day-to-day news, beyond the day-to-day trials that are right before us, and be able to see the finish line and row toward that together in sync by the power of your word, by the power of the Spirit of God, even exhausted in our rowing. Oh God, empower us we would press on. So come, Lord. In the precious name of Jesus, oh, come, Lord. In your name we pray, amen.